This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village, episode number 16. Guys, I really let my nerd show in this one. I sat down with Amanda, she's the co-director of The Bridge School in Middlebury, Vermont. It is an independent K-6 through school, and let me tell you, she described it, and I was like, how can I put my unborn children on your wait list? It is exactly what I want elementary school to be, and it, it was just delicious. And she talks through why they do what they do, what it looks like, what we're working on in elementary school, and how we can approach different topics in, in, in varying ways to reach different children. She also had a lot of takeaways for what you as a parent can do, whether your kid is in an independent school, in a public school, in a private school, homeschooled, unschooled, you name it. She has takeaways for things that you can do and bring to the table and keep in mind as you're navigating this part of the journey. After our interview, we continued to chat before and after all that jazz. By the time we turned off the interview, I realized we've been talking for over two hours It was amazing. She's so fantastic. She has so much knowledge on this and she's a mama herself. And I'm so excited for you to have the opportunity to hear what kindergarten readiness really looks like and what that actually means. And then let's all just move to Middlebury, Vermont and go to Amanda's school. Okay, great. All right, let's jump in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Over 300,000 women die every year as a result of complications during pregnancy and childbirth. These women are not only the caretakers, they're often the teachers, the healthcare providers, and the community leaders. 99% of maternal deaths take place in the developing world, 
and 98% of them are preventable. Every Mother Counts is working to address the barriers to maternal health around the world and at home through transportation, education, supplies. They work tirelessly to help reduce these numbers so that more women can live and more kids can have mothers. For the month of May, in honor of Mother's Day, I will be donating 20% of all of my sleep consultation proceeds to Every Mother Counts. If you've been on the fence about doing a sleep consultation, this month is the month to do so. If you don't need a sleep consultation and you just want to donate, reach out. I'm happy to help you. Thank you to Every Mother Counts for their tireless work on this crucial issue affecting women here at home and around the world. You know how there are people that come into your life that just make perfect sense? A few months ago, a mama-to-be joined my newsletter to get all the hot tips on navigating sleep and everything tiny human. A couple months later, she slid into my DM, and ever since, we've been fast friends. In fact, my husband recently referred to her as one of my friends, although this is actually our first conversation. Mama to the delicious babe and early childhood educator at heart, Amanda Warren is the co-director at Bridge School in Middlebury, Vermont. Hi, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here with you and be able to dive into the tiny human brains and education. I am what? so thrilled to be chatting with you. Uh, what uh, kind of led you to where you are today? Can you give us a little bit of a background on who you are? Yeah. Let's see. Well, like you, I am a lover of all things related to children and families. Uh, I can't really remember a time in my life where I didn't love hanging out with kids. And I was always that person that would you know, seek out the kids in the room and be like, oh, great. Now I have somebody that I can talk to, somebody that I can play with. Um, my parents were teachers. They were high school teachers. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually realize that teaching was my calling for a long time. I think I actually kind of resisted it because my parents are lifelong educators. But at some point in college, I realized that even though I didn't call myself a teacher, all the jobs I was seeking out, all my summer jobs, all my jobs on the side were babysitting or camp counseling or working with kids. Um, so one day I finally woke up and realized that this is what I wanted to be doing. Um, so I, yeah, I studied education in college um, at Middlebury College and then took a job doing some kind of alternative high school education uh, after school and after college and kind of just have sort of gotten younger and younger and younger in my interest in children uh, as my career has gone on. So now I am director and a teacher at the Bridge School in Middlebury, Vermont, which is a very tiny, we have about 30 students, uh, alternative elementary school. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. I also, like you, I'm just obsessed with all things related to babies, birth, all tiny humans. Um, but I guess my expertise goes maybe a little higher in age because I work with kids up until sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, once I get to like they're eight years old, I'm just going to be like, Amanda, what do I do now? <laughs> 
Yeah, I yeah. actually get to teach sex ed, so I get to be in a very different realm of the world than you are. Um, but yeah, that is actually yeah, one of very my different things to teach. <laughs> very, very different. Although I like to think that I instill some of that from the beginning. Actually, the other day mm, I was true. changing a diaper on the diaper table, and I got like hit with really bad period cramps, and I just like paused and put my hand on this child, and just like kind of just bent over for a second, and she asked, she's like two years old. She asked me like, what was going on? And I was like, well, I, I have cramps. Like my uterus hurts. And she was like, your uterus hurts. <laughs> what? And I was like, yeah, my body was ready to have a baby. And I decided not to. And she just like accepted that answer. She was like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, wow, that was better than I anticipated. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully lay in some groundwork for your kids. Exactly. The they yeah. Then you. they won't giggle when I have my science classes when they're older. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about like what Bridge School is? Of course. So Bridge School is an elementary school, so there's a lot that, you know, is going to be similar to your standard public elementary school. We are lucky in Vermont that our elementary schools are, in general, pretty wonderful, um, but Bridge School is extra wonderful in some pretty specific ways. So we accept kids from kind of all different types of kids. So I always say there is no one kid that is a Bridge School kid because we think that we teach in a way that is pretty phenomenal for all types of kids, which is really that we focus on who each kid is and what they love, and then we kind of go from there. So the things that make us unique are that we really focus on relationships, we focus on creativity, and we focus on personalized learning. So for us, relationships means relationship to the self, so helping students understand themselves really deeply and their impact on our community and then the greater world community. Community time is a really big part of our day. We start our day as a whole school together um, and we do a lot of deliberate conflict resolution and emotional coaching and really helping kids understand that, you know, their school day doesn't just have to be about the, you know, rote learning that their school day is their whole life and that we're there to be their kind of guides and mentors along the way of them navigating everything that is going into their life. Um, we really prize creativity, which, you know, sadly is something that is going away in a lot of sort of traditional schools. There just isn't the time or the funding or, um, you know, they're too focused on meeting standards and tests. And so art class can kind of be the first thing to go. We have art class every single day. Uh, and one thing that is particularly unique is that our students actually get to choose which class they're taking. So every two weeks, we roll out a batch of three elective classes. The teachers design uh, two-week distinct classes and then uh, pitch them to the students and the students get to sign up for them. So that is a pretty amazing thing that the kids get to choose what they're learning. And then we also just try to integrate creativity throughout all of our different classes, creative expression uh, in the language arts, in the math classroom, in our science and social studies work. Um, and then personalized learning, you know, I think that is one of those things that is kind of a, a buzzword in, you know, individualized learning, personalized learning. What does it mean? And it does mean a lot of different things. At Bridge School, what it means is that 
we start where a student is and it's informed by how old they are and maybe what chronological grade they would be in, but that is not what determines their course of learning. So if you are 10 years old, but you are at the same math learning level as a seven-year-old, great, you learn math with that person. Um, we're not rigid in our, we actually don't have grades. We say that you're in kindergarten, we say that you're in sixth grade, but everything else is kind of in the squishy middle because we don't believe that learning happens in this very regimented linear process. Some of our kids stay at school for six years, some at five, some seven. It really just depends on who that kid is and where they are at that moment in their life. Um, similarly, you know, if you're in a traditional public school, you would be learning math and language arts and science and social studies, all with kids who are exactly your same age, uh, completely determined by, you know, whatever the arbitrary age cutoff is determined by your school district. And we do a lot of mixed age learning based on students' abilities and interests, but also just recognizing that it's a very artificial thing to have a situation where you're just only in a room with people who are exactly your same age. We think there's a lot to be learned from being an older and getting to teach to a younger or being a younger and being in the presence of somebody who has a little bit more experience and getting to learn from a peer. And then, you know, it might be that your math and language arts levels aren't at the same place. You might be really zooming ahead in language arts one year and needing a little extra time in math and that doesn't really, it doesn't really phase us. We have distinct groups for language arts and distinct groups for math and distinct groups for social studies and science so that you're with the group of students that makes sense for you learning the topics that make sense for you at the pace that makes sense for you. It doesn't matter if you're 10 and three quarters and your birthday is whatever date. It just depends on who you are. That's the dreamiest thing I, thing I think I've ever heard. Uh, I was just listening and I was yeah, like, Yeah, I often say I, I wish I could anything? be a child. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I was like, can I find anything in this model that like wouldn't work for some kids or wouldn't work for me or whatever? And I, as I listened, I was like, nope, nope, nope. These are all like checking all the boxes I would want to have in a school. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's so fantastic that you guys get to have this school and kind of hopefully be a model for, for other schools. Um, why, I guess, I, I think probably every early childhood or elementary school teacher is probably listening to that and it's like, okay, that sounds amazing, but, right? Like there are all these buts. Mm -hmm. So, but I have to have kids who can know how to sit down in class and take this test, or I have to reach all 20 of these kids. And so I don't have time to have this personalized experience with every single child. Um, so like, I guess, how do you guys combat that? What does Bridge School do to be able to give that to these kids? Well, we do have really small class sizes. So we never really have a situation where we have 20 kids in a room with a teacher, which is a huge privilege. And I do recognize that. Um, but just because it's a privilege doesn't make me want to say, well, you know, it, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's the right thing to do. Yes, when you are in a class with lots and lots and lots of students, I was actually just having this conversation with my coworker this morning. We were talking about testing and assessment and saying, you know, yes, we could use some kind of more standardized assessment tools. You know, we could give our students tests 
But what we've found is when we even have experimented with doing things like that, we end up not learning anything because hmm. we know our students so well when there's only, you know, 10, 12 kids in a classroom, you know where they are. So you don't need a test to tell you where they are. That being said, I do, I primarily work with the older students right now. And I do think a lot about the fact that the majority of my students go to their public middle schools and high schools when they leave us. There aren't really that many independent options around. So I do take that responsibility pretty seriously of wanting to make sure that they are ready for that transition. So we do practice test taking and we practice homework and we talk about what it means to be a student and a school. Um, and so they are ready when they leave. And what we find is that the vast majority of times, I can't really think of a time where a student hasn't done amazingly when they get to their public middle school because they know themselves so well and they know themselves as a learner and they know how to advocate for themselves um, that they just, they just excel. And I always joke that our kindergartners in some ways actually have sort of a middle school experience because we don't have a kindergarten classroom where you're just with kindergartners and you're with the same teacher walking in a line all throughout your day. The students have one teacher for language arts and then they might have another teacher for math and they're moving throughout our long dairy barn building independently. We have three transitions. So the kids move starting when their first day of kindergarten, they move from their class to class independently. Uh, so by the time they get to middle school, they're like, okay, whatever, I can move around a building and memorize my own schedule, no problem. Um, but it isn't to say that you have these, you know, little kids who have to be, you know, memorizing their schedule or something like that. We have, you know, teachers all along the way and we're guiding them. And that's when those pressures of, oh, yes, can they sit in a circle? Can they walk, you know, safely throughout the building? That's when they, those situations come up. But it provides more authentic opportunities for learning because you're not just walking in a line for the sake of practicing walking in a line calmly and safely. You know, if you're going from your language arts to your math class and you have to move through our central office, which sort of also functions as our library, and one of our teachers is on the phone, you have to be aware of that and you have to be respectful as you walk through so that you don't disturb her being on the phone. So it provides a much more authentic opportunity to talk about, okay, why are we keeping our bodies in control at school? Why are we using an inside voice? Why are we being respectful? It's because I can actually tangibly see the impact of my self-control on the world around me rather than just, you know, practicing walking in a line for the sake of walking in a line. Uh, and the same thing for sitting in a circle, you know, there are times in the day where we want to have a collaborative community learning environment. That's why we come to school, right? You know, if, if you were somebody, a family who wanted to be in a home education environment, it might be different, but, you know, you have chosen to come to school and it's a community environment and you want to be learning from each other. And in order to hear each other, you need to kind of be in the same place, sitting and listening and having a, a shared experience. So we can have more authentic, realistic expressions of why those skills are important rather than just, okay, now it's rug time so that we can practice the skill of rug time. Love that. When I when I first started teaching, I was teaching in preschool, and my very first year, I had a parent say, 
for some reason, this was a thing for them. They wanted their child to learn the life cycle of a butterfly. It was something that Mm -hmm. they remembered having learned before they went to kindergarten. And it it just like stuck out for me. I was just like, that's interesting. Like, this is something that, you know, I have most parents will will meet at the end of school year and they give us their goals. Most parents, it's like, I want them to be quote unquote kindergarten ready, right? Whatever that, whatever that means. Um, And all these things. And this was theirs. It was that they wanted her to know the life cycle of a butterfly. And (laughs) so we went into uh, like skill sets versus content, right? And Mm Uh, this is something we talk about a lot uh, because in my like emotional development work that my goal for kids is to be able to regulate themselves, uh, have empathy, have social awareness so that no matter what content we give them, they can take it in. Uh, They're ready to learn whatever comes their way or go into whatever they want to learn, right? To like look up whatever they need. And because if we focus on like, we want you to know this content in this grade and then this content in this grade and this content in this grade, uh, we're not necessarily giving them these foundational tools to just absorb whatever content comes their way. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, my first question is, does your student want to know the life cycle of a butterfly? <laughs> I mean, exactly. I'm sure most preschoolers would want to know that. Who doesn't? It's a fun thing to learn. But we find that if you're trying to teach something you know, and a student isn't really that, you know, interested and ready for it, you know, they might learn it superficially, but is it going right. to be lifelong learning? But whereas those skills and, that you're talking and why? about, those are, those are lifelong skills. Totally. Well, and why, right? Like, why do we want them mm-hmm. to know this stuff? Why in seventh grade did they have a specific curriculum that they wanted me to learn? Like, is it, a, is it, to build a foundation for something that's going to come next? Is it something people feel like I needed to know for, the, for my life? Like I, I encourage teachers and, and folks working with tiny humans, parents across the board to just ask this question of like, why? Why do I feel like this is something they need right now? Um, exactly. Instead, yeah, I've been want... having that conversation a lot with myself just as a teacher is, yeah. If what parent, do you remember the life cycle of a butterfly? You know, hopefully maybe you do, but you know, why have we decided that these skills or these, you know, I think the skills are pretty, pretty much we have some agreement across educators that there are certain skills, but yeah, the content area is just, why have we decided? It's exactly that same question. Why? Well, maybe because somebody who owns a textbook company decided that <laughs> this is what our scope of learning should be for the year. Um, But again, yeah, the chances are they're going to forget a lot of it. So can we teach it in a way that is going to light them up and tap into their authentic excitement and therefore help them learn it in a deeper way? Right. Uh, So a couple things that we've touched on a little bit here are uh, emergent curriculum and play-based learning. And these are two huge buzzwords in education Mm -hmm. right now. And I want to dive into like what those really mean for you um, and how you use them at the bridge school. So mm-hmm. Let's start with, with emergent curriculum. Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think it's something that as educators, we're constantly grappling with. And I love that about it, that you can't, it doesn't feel like something that I'm ever going to arrive at because my kids are always changing. The world around us mm-hmm. is always changing. The families are always changing. And so 
meeting everybody's needs as closely as possible, I think is kind of a moving target. And that's something that's exciting. Um, so, you know, not every single thing we do is emergent. You know, we can't, we can't operate all throughout the day saying, oh, what exactly in this moment is it that you want to learn? That's not a really super realistic way of just being kind of part of the social norms of our society. But one example that I, um, that comes to mind in terms of my approach to emerging curriculum has to do with fidget spinners, which are so passe now, but were a really big deal not that long ago. Um, and so I was uh, teaching physics and kind of laws of motion. And I, I had a lesson plan or kind of a unit plan actually for one or two weeks that I had in mind. I taught it before. It had gone really well. I thought my kids would really love it. It had to do with experimenting and building and inventing. Um, but it happened to be that that week was the week that fidget spinners hit Bridge School, which was about six months after they hit the rest of the country. But they showed up at Bridge School one day and everybody had them. And so a lot of schools in our area were banning them. Um, and I had the privilege and the opportunity to kind of sit down and say, okay, well, why are we banning them? And can I actually just use these as a tool for learning? Because it's clear that these kids are really interested in them. So I used it as, a, as an opportunity for both content learning, but then also for talking about self-control and, and using tools for learning versus toys. And so we talked about how it's an, how it would be appropriate to use a fidget spinner in a classroom. I actually do think that there are a lot of kids who really need that kind of tactile sensory stimulation through the day and that it actually does help them focus. So we talked about how you can use it as a tool for learning, but if you start spinning it and then put it up against your friend's face, is that really going to help them learn? And so if you do that, then I might have to take it away for a little while because it's clear to me that it's moved from the, the tool zone into the toy zone. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Um, so it was really powerful to decide that, you know, we're not just going to ban them. We're going to actually talk about them because I feel like also if we had banned them, it would, they would have become even more focused on them and trying to figure out how to use them in school. Um, and then, as I said, I used it in my physics class. So I kind of completely threw out the specific kind of hands-on examples that we were going to use in that unit. And we just dove into the study of fidget spinners of potential and kinetic energy and looking at friction and why does the mechanism work the way that it does. Um, and then we, I had the students get, design a completely independent experiment about fidget spinners. So I had students, you know, trying to alter them in certain ways or build their own or look at how they spin on different surfaces. Um, and it just turned into this really joyous couple weeks where we were diving into something that was really something that they were really interested in. And it felt like a really beautiful blend of, okay, well, we are learning some hard science, which I, I have a background in science and math teaching. So I, I do think that there are certain concepts that it is useful and fun to understand about energy. Um, but we were learning it in, in a way that was so immediate to them. That's such a perfect example of emergent curriculum. And I think this is something that separates uh, schools like Bridge School um, or what we see often in early childhood apart from elementary school in that most elementary schools have scripted curriculum. So for those of you listening who are like, what do these terms even mean? Emerging curriculum is where we take kids' interests and we get to like, design our classroom experience based off of their interests. So in this case, fidget spinners. Um, a scripted curriculum is literally just that. It's, it's a book that comes to you and says, all right, week one, this is what you do. And sometimes even down to like, this is what you can say about this. Um, I've experienced that method of teaching also. I taught briefly in a public school in the Bronx, and I was a student teaching placement, and my cooperating teacher literally handed me a page and said, you know, I don't really know why we have to teach this, but we just have to, and you have to do it this way. And it was actually also kind of, it was a science lesson about muscle fatigue, and it was just, you know, everybody does this. It's a standard lesson about um pinching a clothespin as many times as you can and then looking at the number of times you can do it in a minute. Uh, and I literally had to stand there and read a script, but of course we didn't actually have clothespins, so we had to use hair clips and all these other things, but then it didn't work because it was violating the script and it didn't work in the same way. So I have experienced both ways of teaching. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty, it can be pretty sad to stand up there and read from a book. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually, the, I similarly experienced it in student teaching and it, 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 there was nothing. It was the thing in, in all of my teaching experience or education that felt the most unnatural for me. 
And mm-hmm. honestly, going into early childhood or going into education, I thought I was going to teach kindergarten or first grade. Um, and now I just went younger and younger until they were in the womb. But uh, I, I, I had that experience as student teaching and had to read from a book. They were giving an assessment and I had to read it and I had kids asking questions and I could only answer questions in a specific way and it was not answering their questions. And I just remember standing there feeling so helpless <laughs> and knowing I wasn't reaching these kids and also feeling like I wasn't allowed to. Um, and the students and can pick up on that too, which is so totally. interesting and also so, yeah, so sad and frustrating that a student can tell when you're not excited about what you're teaching. Uh, so that's another Absolutely. thing that we really try to do. And, you know, obviously we can't make a perfect world where as a teacher, you can literally only teach to your passions at any given moment in the day. But we, for the most part, really try to allow our teachers to teach what lights them up. Um, so, you know, if, for example, I talk a lot about arts in our curriculum, and if for you, your creative expression is Taekwondo, which is one of our current teachers loves, then she's going to teach a Taekwondo class during art time and kids are going to love it. Um, or if you're like me and you really love knitting and weaving, that's going to be your arts class and the kids can tell when something is of interest to you and then they get excited by that and want to learn it also. My class would probably be karaoke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, we actually do. We have dance parties in the morning. Another thing that we practice is um, really ensuring that students start their day in a way that feels good for them. Um, so we come in, they have some free time, then we have a whole group morning, a whole school morning meeting, and then we have this little block of time where there's three options that teachers usually pick and the students can sign up for them but often if one of them will be just free choice or free reading um, and we try to have kind of a low energy one and a high energy one so it might be puzzles and games or dance party in the gym and students get to spend about 20 minutes starting their day in a way that makes them feel good uh, and then we go into language arts class after that. And sometimes we get questions from parents saying, you know, are you wasting time at school that they're, you know, not just starting right with the academics right away? And my answer is no, this is the most important part of the day because they're excited to come to school because they want to choose what they're going to do and they want to sign up for their favorite choice. And they're starting their day feeling good. We all know it can be really hard to get out the door in the morning especially if you've got a bunch of kids um and so we don't want them to start their day feeling that frazzled and stressed feeling uh and when the weather's nice we all just go outside and play for 20 minutes before we start language arts class it's amazing well anyone listening who wants to hear about the sensory needs can go back to our sensory episode mm. it's episode number three but that's i mean it speaks a lot to what you were just saying of just like moving your body and how important that is for being able to focus, uh, which is another big hot topic right now. It's this like mm-hmm. having less recess and more structured learning in, in public schools and how that's affecting these tiny humans. Uh, and, and I've heard from a lot of, I, I belong to a group of public school uh, teachers and they, it's a lot of venting about how it doesn't feel natural to them. And it's not what they want. Uh, so kind of like, where do we go from here? Right. If, if we as teachers know our kids should be moving their bodies and uh, we, we want a different setup, then 
how do we kind of move away from what we have? Uh, what do you guys use for like assessment? How do you assess your tiny human's development? Because I've heard from a lot of public school teachers that like that's something that's really hard for them is that they feel like they have to get all this content in because they have to then assess their kids on this content. Uh, so what do you guys do there? In terms of uh, academic assessment or in terms of yeah, exactly. social emotional growth assessment? In terms of academic assessment? Well, what I like to say is that our curriculum is informed by state and national standards, but it's just not dictated by them. So we all are trained educators. We know what the Common Core is, um, and we have a lot of curriculum materials in our school that are, you know, a published curriculum. So, for example, I'm a big fan of Turk's Investigations Math Curriculum, and so I do use that as a resource. Um, but what's beautiful is that I don't have to completely stick to the script. So I was having a conversation with a friend from my graduate program who was just starting a new, uh, starting at a new school and she was teaching third grade math. And I got really excited and I said, oh, I've been teaching third grade math too. There's that kind of zone of third grade. And, you know, this is a game that I love and here's this website that has all these amazing resources. And by the way, there's this, you know, starter activity that is really great. And she said, you know, this all looks really cool, but I can't use any of it because my school district only lets me use this one curriculum. And, so I think that's what can really separate us is that, yes, I know what a sixth grader really should, you know, quote unquote, know by the time they leave sixth grade. And but that's a whole nother conversation that we could get into of who's decided that. But, yes, I, I am aware <laughs> of these state and national standards and I, I do want my kids to be successful when they move on. So I am going to try really hard to get them there, but I get to use as many different tools in my toolkit as I can find. Um, so. I have curriculums that I look at and I look at where, you know, what a lesson is, what is the topic that we're trying to teach. And sometimes I really like the way, for example, my math curriculum does it, but frequently I'll think, you know, actually I want to look for another resource or I will look at the scope and the sequence and say, you know, I totally understand why they've laid it out this way, but I actually don't want to just do, you know, addition and subtraction in September and then do geometry in October. Maybe I want to do geometry on Wednesdays all the way through the year so that we're coming back to geometry all the way through. Um, so it gives us the flexibility while still knowing what the benchmarks are. And so, I mean, I won't, I won't lie to you and say that that isn't, you know, it's more challenging, right? It's more challenging to be in this kind of constant state of co-creation with your students uh, than getting to turn to the next page in the book and have them turn to the next page in their workbook. Um, but it is it is worth it in the long run. Even Absolutely. That was one thing I was going to say. From the teacher side of things, I mean, m most of our days, my days are in, in my planning are spent planning curriculum, right? But like mm -hmm. I'm assessing where they are and I am looking at, all right, where, where can we take this? What can I bring into our our days that incorporate what they're interested in and, and how to take it from here versus when I was in that kindergarten class and I was at the end of the day had planning for an hour every day. And my planning time was then spent trying to figure out how to support these kids' behaviors and emotional development because 
I had no flexibility with the academic curriculum. Mm. Uh, and I found that it was just so frustrating for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess I don't want to say easier. It was just like a different set of problems then. Right. Um, yeah. Either I was going to spend time doing emergent curriculum and not having to really address the social emotional in the same way because uh, I could reach kids differently uh, versus working on the social emotional because I couldn't adjust the academic. I heard this quotation recently, or it's not really a quotation, but it's just kind of this little ism about, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm throwing other teachers under the bus because I have so much respect for anybody who is an educator. And I feel like it's one of those things whenever I meet somebody who is a teacher or whoever was a teacher, it's like, oh my gosh, we automatically have so much to talk to or talk about. We're already friends. But this little ism that I heard was saying that, you know, there are some people who like to play being a teacher and there are some people who just are a teacher. And I kind of feel like the, it, the way that our school systems are sort of pushing us is actually to sort of like play being a teacher where you stand up in front mm -hmm. of the room and you have your little book and you, you know, you flip the page and you say, everybody, okay, now move to the next one. And you do everything in exactly the same regimented way in the same structure throughout the day. Um, or you can let things get a little messy and let things get, you know, occasionally a little chaotic, uh, but have a lot of fun Absolutely. and do a lot of emergent learning along the way. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think it's so true. And I, my heart hurts for, for teachers who are in that system and they don't know what to do about it. Right. That uh, just like your friend who reached out and you gave her those resources and she was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm not allowed to do that. And I, I definitely don't have those answers in terms of like, where do we go from there? But I think it's something we should all be thinking about and parents alike. I mean, parents are the consumers of this right so mm -hmm. if parents demand that this is what we need to see a change in that's where that's going to come from uh, and so kind of looking now I, I know a lot of folks don't have access to something like bridge school um, mm -hmm. so if all you have is the one school in your town or the public school option and you know it's going to be more structured they aren't going to have the emerging curriculum we aren't necessarily going to relate to social emotional skills as much how do we advocate for our tiny humans how do you what's the best way if you're sending your kiddo to this k through six public school how can you advocate for them to have a learning experience that best suits them yeah that's such a good question and I wish, you know, I do wish I had the answer. I don't know that I do, but I'll I'll take a stab at it, which is that I think so much of it comes down to helping your kid feel empowered themselves in their learning um, and to be able to see the bigger picture as much as possible for, you know, being an age-appropriate little kid. But, you know, for them to, to see you be excited by learning and that you are in the constant process of learning as an adult that you know school is a structure that we use for kids to learn but the reality is that learning is everywhere um, and so helping them see that yes they are having to go to school and maybe they have homework and they really don't like that format or they don't like the format of having their you know regimented disciplined language arts math social studies science that classes all separated out like that um, that learning happens all the time and that they, you know, they, they really are the drivers of their, their own ship in terms of their learning. So I worked at a school once where 
a teacher was advocating that we are that we were very authentic with our students and that we share with them the kinds of things that we're learning outside of school you know saying oh right now i have decided that i really want to learn how to swim better you know i've always known how to swim but i actually want to learn how to do a flip turn and maybe you know participate in a local race or something like that um, and just sharing that with your students and showing them that you are in this constant process of evolving and growing and changing um, so that would be one way is just kind of modeling that for your student or for your kid uh, and and talking with them about how they're how they're feeling about their learning. I think another way, honestly, is, you know, you could imagine one parent say, oh, well, the school system isn't as satisfactory as I would like it. So I'm going to put them in a whole bunch of enrichment activities after school that will be more creative for them. I think that's one way of doing it. And I, you know, I always say that there's no one perfect model of school because everybody is different and so uh, you really do have to know what's right for your kid but I'm always an advocate for free time as much as possible um, and that opportunity for a free play and I know that can get really tricky when you've got working parents um, and there's a lot going on and you you know maybe can't provide them with that safely but giving them as much time to just explore and find out what they're interested in and you know hopefully that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just going to get home and play video games or something like that but even if they are you know there's a lot of ways that you can make that into some kind of learning opportunity so i think over scheduling is one thing that i try to shy parents away from um, just letting their kids have a chance to to breathe you know people talk about homework kind of being like the second shift for for mm. for students um, and similarly you don't want to have them be going to second and third shifts by being up until 8 p.m at theater practice and swim practice and all these things you know our kids at our school they are so tired by the end of the day they they just put so much into their day and i think it's it can be hard for us to remember as adults how exhausting it is to be a kid in school. So just giving them that time to to be them, I think is really important. But I do, I also I agree with you that, that we, you know, parents are, are the consumers. And so I think we have seen a lot of changes in parents, you know, requesting less homework and, you know, homework can be a whole nother podcast conversation, um, but, you know, requesting less homework and, and really pushing back when you know recess is taken away or something like that. So, you know, I have heard people say that the single most impactful thing you can do for your community is to run for your school board. You know, forget any other elected position, run for your school board. <laughs> yeah, no, so true. Be be the change, man. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's huge. I think uh, one thing with like the over scheduling that comes to mind is. I had parents, I worked, with, I worked with a parent recently who wanted to be doing something because it made her feel like she was setting these, this kid up for success, right? That like, it, if it was scheduled, then the kid was working on a certain thing at that time. Um, and I like pushed her to kind of slash coached her into seeing it on like the flip side of like, she, when she crawls over and she pulls up, and she's 
interacting with this tissue box or whatever, that she's still learning something here. And like what through all that she just learned through that whole process and that going to swim class doesn't, it's not necessarily like a structured, she's only learning right here at swim class and then we leave and she's just existing. Like every little piece of the day is a learning experience for this tiny human. And it's the same as they get older, right? Like every piece of the day for us is a learning experience if we choose to see it that way. Um, and that's not just like set, oh, I learned math in this 45-minute period. Uh, but when I go shopping with my mom, I mean, I I learned percentages because I my biggest vice is my closet. I love clothes. It's not something I'm trying to change. It's something I've accepted. But uh, I learned percentages from going shopping with my mom and learning 25% off and mm-hmm. learning how to do that. And uh I, of course, I was also probably taught that in school, but that's what sticks in mind in mind for me. Right. And kind of seizing those opportunities throughout the day, not feeling like we have to structure them. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And it gets back to your question about how we use play as a space for learning. And I think with something that's so important, especially for our kids today, is to let them feel a little bit bored every so often, mm-hmm. to let them figure out how they want to spend their time, um, to let them figure out, you know, I'm out on the playground for 30 minutes. Okay, I'm a little cold, but maybe I can come up with some game that helps me warm up. We actually have this unbelievable game at bridge school that truthfully I can't describe it as well as the students um, but it completely emerged from giving them the space for free play so I'll try quickly because it's pretty unbelievable so it's called force and gourds and it only occurs in the fall and there's no set day that it starts 
and there's no set day that it ends. It's just that one day the sort of group consciousness decides that, okay, today is when Forts and Gourds is starting, and then it just takes off like wildfire. So students bring in from home decorative gourds and pumpkins, um, and it's kind of like this mini society where that is the currency. The, the gourds are the currency. Mm -hmm. So students set up these forts on the playground, um, and then the, there's a trading post, and they're constantly bartering and trading. And, you know, a white mini pumpkin is worth a ton, whereas a, you know, a gooseneck gourd is worth two mini pumpkins or something like this. And I always describe it as, like, when I look at the playground, I can see that they're playing it, but I feel like they are wearing different goggles that they can see this whole universe and it means so much to them and they get so wrapped up in it. Um, and we've had people say, okay, so what is the learning objective here? Why are we letting them play forts and gourds? What, what, is, what are they getting out of this? And I feel really comfortable saying, I don't actually know everything that they're getting out of it. I do know that they're interacting with each other, that they're coming into conflict naturally. And yes, sometimes it gets hard, but that's why we're here. We're here to help them navigate that conflict. I know that they're working on bartering. I know that they're working on creating a physical dwelling fort space that they are so excited about that they can't wait to get to school so they can keep working on their fort. Um, and that's, you know, that's a game that never would have existed if they didn't have the space and time. And now it's this legacy that happens every single year. And then it's also exciting because then in the spring, there's all these little volunteer gourds and pumpkins that grow because <laughs> the kids have abandoned their gourds throughout the year. Uh, and so it's just this really beautiful example of how when you let kids be kids, they do pretty amazing that's so things. amazing. I love that. Uh, actually, I don't know if you watch New Girl, but it reminded me of that true American game that they play that every time it's like on the mm. show, I'm like, I don't know the rules, but everybody's so into it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wish I could play Force and Gourds, but I don't think it would mean as much to me as it, it does to the kids. <laughs> right. Uh, one thing that I have a question about from, from the teacher side of things is how you kind of approach delays. So... I, this is like a huge topic for me that I, I feel like I'm constantly kind of going over with parents and with other teachers of my goal is to set kids up so that no matter what comes their way, they can take it in, right? So when I look at my little one-year-old or my babies, I am looking to see if there is anything standing out to me that is showing me that they're having a hard time learning, that they are either having a hard time learning to move their body, that they're having a hard time learning, uh, like the planning that goes into entering a group, or they're having a hard time with language development, whether it's expressive or receptive. Like, is there anything, are there any roadblocks that are coming in the way for this kid that, uh, are, that, that are inhibiting them from learning whatever we throw at them or whatever they want? Uh, and if so, that's where we start to see delays. And then my job is to figure out why. Like, what is below the surface? What's happening? Um, is this a sensory issue? Is there something else that's going on here? And, and if so, like, then where do we go from there? My goal isn't I need this kid to walk at a certain age or talk at a certain age or whatever. It's not about the age markers for me. It's that if they aren't hitting these things at a certain age marker, why? And how else will this affect them? And so when we look ahead to, like, 
these mixed age groups of, of K through sixth grade, what, especially if like your assessments are, are, are different and, you know, you don't have these standardized things, which a lot of this is something I've come into. I don't believe in standardized assessments for early childhood and yet we have to have them legally on file. And so I feel like, you know, we fill them out, but for me, I don't take it to heart. For me, I'm like, all right, yeah, we're seeing like that this kid isn't meeting this marker, but I'm not worried about it. I'm seeing all these other things that are natural progressions to getting there. Um, or, yeah, they are meeting these markers, but there's this other thing going on that I'm still trying to figure out that I think is going to lead to big, uh, more obstacles for them down the road. So I guess long-winded question, how do you, how do you handle things like delays if you're seeing a kid who is struggling to read at an age where you would mm -hmm. expect them to be getting this naturally? Yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting question, especially in a small school. You know, I will be honest and say that one of the challenges that we do have is that because we're small, we don't have as many resources. You know, we don't have paraeducators, we don't have a school counselor, we don't have special educators. And so we have to be really diligent as teachers of being honest with ourselves and with our families about what is within my scope of practice and understanding and where I need help. And I I'm so comfortable asking for help and working with families to see that that's not some kind of failure on their part or our part, that they're, you know, as, as you say, it takes a village and that there are so many people with so many specialties and my job is to help you find that person. Um, but so I think, so one thing that helps is uh, the way that we set up our classes. Um, we, yeah, we don't have to have our kids move through things in such regimented ways. So for example, my, the math class that I was teaching this year, um, it had students who were, this was an unusual one, but I literally had students who were third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders um, because they all kind of happened to be in the same zone of learning multiplication. So I had a third grader who was really jazzed and excited, and so he was leveling up a little bit, but I had some students who needed a little extra time. And ideally, you know, that sixth grader was going to move on, um, but ideally I'm also going to be having somewhat of a similar group of kids for more than one year so I can see their process of development beyond just September to June. You know, I often feel like I finally kind of crack the nut of a kid's learning style by May, and then it's game over. I have a whole new group of kids that I have to start fresh with, you know, in a more traditional mm -hmm. school. But I've, there was, I've had one kid who I'd been teaching language arts starting technically from when he was in fourth grade. So I was able to think, okay, this is where he is now. What, what's going to be our path to get to the end of this three-year trajectory for him to graduate? Um, and, you know, I'm working with certain families right now on, yeah, do we do we want to do some kind of assessment? I, I do have tools in my toolkit that are a graded level assessment, you know, whether it's the basic reading inventory or the graded math assessments that come with curriculums that I have experience with. You know, I can, I can assess a student that way if it feels meaningful for a parent to know, um, yes, they are at this whatever grade level or they're not quite there yet. But for us, we always want to take it with a pretty massive grain of salt of saying, let's step back. Okay, what, what does it really mean for you and your kid and your family? Um, you know, and because we, we are able to think about them for 
for their whole time of elementary school. We, we really, as teachers, we all sort of sit down and talk about every kid pretty much every day because we have the luxury of doing that. So we're able to really be working as a team and thinking about them. Um, and in terms of kind of delays, another thing that is really beautiful is kids, our kids aren't tracked particularly in terms of like them falling into a track um, because our groups are distinct for our different subjects. If you have a student who is, you know, from a family where they play math games every single night around the dinner table and they that kid has been you know several technical grade levels above in their math they're able to learn math with the group of kids that makes sense to them but then they're still able to be in a sort of more average or whatever for their grade level or their age group language arts class so we're just able to be pretty nimble with our students and it, it is because we have a smaller group of kids and we have the luxury of having you know a smaller teacher or student to teacher ratio that's awesome i love that there's the flexibility for kids to not just be like oh we're going to bump you up a grade level but that in this specific area where you seem to be excelling like we can move you up to this class or in this other that there's just that flexibility in, in grouping right i was recently exactly. talking with a with a mom who is choosing to homeschool right now because they did the like kindergarten assessment for public school and her kid scored like an I don't I guess like an S on the reading scale and they essentially were like most kids coming in are at like a B or whatever on like this A to Z scale and he was at an F and the kindergarten teachers like doing the screening were like yeah like he's essentially not going to be reached right like they're going to have to focus on kids who aren't reading or who aren't getting it and he's not going to be challenged was in more words than that the message his mom was sent and so she chose to homeschool uh, mm. and just asked like at what point does that level out at what point will it change where you're not working on foundational skills and he can be challenged if he's excelled in a certain area but it was a hard decision because at the same time she was like yeah he's excelling in reading um, but she was like, I feel like he could benefit from the social skills of being in class. Exactly. And she had to make that decision of like, how do I give him the social skills at home, homeschooling, so that I can challenge him academically and he isn't just bored. Uh, right. Yeah, I always think about that in the kids that skip grades or get left back or something like that, quote unquote, left back. It's like, okay, you're leaving them back because they can't read in the way that you want them to, but that is such a narrow understanding of that human being totally. as a whole. And how is that going to impact the rest of their life? You know, that they I mean, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but you know, if you, if you're really pushing them forward because of one thing or quote unquote holding them back because of one element of their entire personhood, um, you know, that has, that has ramifications for their, for their learning trajectory. Absolutely. No, I think it's so important. So huge. So, Let's throw this together for families. So what, if, if folks are listening now, what would you leave them with if they are looking at what their options are for K-6? What advice would you give to parents like shopping schools and looking around? What could they be looking for? I'll get back to the idea that there is no one right school model. You know, there is no one silver bullet. I think that's something that our 
sort of culture and country is really obsessed with is this like, okay, there's this new documentary out and it's going to solve the school problem for us. It's going to teach us the best way to learn. Uh, and I really, really think that there, there is the right school out there for every kid. Yes, you just have to, you have to find it or you have to make it work. Um, so obviously it's knowing your kid and that sounds kind of silly, but to really know your kid on a deep level and know them and not kind of what you want them to be at that moment or what you were at that moment as an elementary schooler or where you are at that moment as a parent, um, but really thinking about who they, who they are. And they might learn in a way that is totally different from the way you did and the way you do. Um, so just being open to options and and hopefully not seeing different types of schools as, you know, successes or failures in different ways, just being open to the fact that they're just different. You know, I, yes, I do believe that my school is a really great model, but I, I also have had students who don't thrive. You know, there are some kids who really like very rigid structure and they need something to be kind of as predictable and repetitive as possible so that they feel comfortable at this point in their growth and development. And so, yes, our, our school might not be great for them because they, you know, in our school, you have to move throughout so much of the day and you have to kind of carry things with you and keep track of a lot of different things at once. Um, so I just think it really gets back to being honest with yourself and honest with your kid and seeing, seeing what lights them up. Um, and then if you, if you don't have a lot of options, I, I do feel torn as to say, well, you know, again, getting back to that idea of you don't want to provide too much enrichment stuff outside of school. Like I've heard and Montessori teachers talk about, you know, home is not school, school is not home. You don't want to make your home environment so kind of rigorous in some way or intense that by the time they get to school, they don't want to do you know meaningful work anymore because they're tired from doing it at home um mm -hmm. but you can still find ways to support them at home so you know if they're in a more traditional school and they really love chickens maybe you can figure out how to get chickens at home and they can you know start a little egg business on the side i've had students do that before in my school even if they are in kind of an alternative environment so helping them find projects on the side that they can learn from um, and that will really speak to their passions. Um, and I, I think that you really, you can incorporate learning into your home life in sneaky ways. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say that, yes, every single night you need to sit down and, and play a math game or something like that. But I, I find it really powerful to talk to families about just looking for those real world examples, looking for authentic examples of what they're learning in the classroom out in the world. I don't want my kids to be overstressed with homework, but I also know that it's really hard to learn your multiplication tables if you only practice them for 45 minutes a day at school. And so, you know, helping your kids or having your kids be involved in exactly like you were talking about, going shopping and talking about 20% off, having them be in charge of the shopping list, doing cooking with them at home, reading with them, of course, at home, having them write stories, um, finding those ways for them to make what they're learning in the classroom actually come alive outside of the classroom as well is huge for their 
development and it's also really fun, I think, hopefully for parents as well. It's amazing. I like just listening to you, I'm like, she's my spirit person. Uh, <laughs> <this is> awesome. <laughs> uh, fantastic. So after we'll leave we'll leave families with that. Thank you so much. I think it's great advice to kind of start with and, and bring with you in the parenting journey kind of all along, uh, not just for K through six. Um, so where could people either find out more about Bridge School and or connect with you? Yeah, well, our website is Bridge School Vermont, all spelled out, uh, .org, or it'll obviously come up on search engines if you search for it. Um, we're in Middlebury, Vermont. Uh, or if you want to see pictures of a four-month-old baby romping around <laughs> Vermont, um, I like Instagram a lot. And my Instagram uh, is Migratory Miles. Uh, I, in, in another branch of my life, I also am a big marathon runner, so hence the miles. Um, and my account is private because I'm a teacher, but you're welcome to add me in. I'd love to chat if anybody wants to chat. It's amazing. I added Amanda, and I would highly recommend it. Her little daughter <laughs> is so thinking cute. <laughs> awesome. I will link to those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Amanda. So great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at VoicesOfYourVillage.com. If this podcast has helped you on your journey, please take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.